Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the host of the Sendcast and the managing director of B Squared. If you have just found this podcast and this is your first listen, then welcome. The aim of the Sendcast is really, really simple. We want to help everyone learn and know more about special educational needs and disability. My guest this week is Kim Griffin. Kim is an occupational therapist and founder of Griffin OT. And Kim has been working SEND for the last 20 years with a focus on autism, sensory processing, and dyspraxia. And in this episode, we're discussing arousal and self-regulation. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. I normally mention our assessment software because that's everyone knows B Squared for, but we do more than just our assessment software. Eversense is our evidence and preparent communication system. It feels like a social media system, so it's really easy to understand and use, but it is extremely secure. It makes a really good, safe place to share evidence of learning with parents or external professionals. It's a great way to capture people voice. You can use it at homeschool diaries as you're reading diaries. You can capture those wow moments that are going on and showcase it all. Visit the B Squared website to find out more about Eversense or any of our products. And you can click on that meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me to take you through Eversense. Now, let's get on with the podcast. On this week's show, we're discussing what do we mean by the term arousal and how does this link to self-regulation? My guest this week is Kim Griffin. Kim is an occupational therapist and founder of Griffin OT. And Kim has been working in SEND for the last 20 years with a focus on autism, sensory processing, and dyspraxia. She also provides additional training and support for sensory processing and motor skills like handwriting on her website, griffinot.com. Welcome back, Kim. Hi, Dale. Before we get started on the self-regulation part, let's start with the arousal and what do we mean by that term arousal? Okay, so I know when we were first discussing this topic, you were giggling because I was being very childish. You were I'm being immature. hugely childish, and I know that when typically when I'm in a group of people, the first thing they think about when I say arousal is they jump straight to sexual arousal. I, I'm so childish, but I don't want to bring that up either. I've got to have someone else to bring it up. I don't want to be that first person. And the first time I heard the term arousal was in a webinar. I was recording with someone else, and they said, the first thing you've got to do is make sure your children aren't aroused. And I was going, what? It made I literally had never heard of the term arousal other than the sexual kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So- and then she went to explain it, and I was like, oh, okay, get you now. Yeah, so when I – use the term arousal, I'm thinking about the level of energy that's in the body. So is the, is the body ready to sleep? Is the arousal level really low and there's just no energy? Or is the arousal level so high that you're really stressed and you're, you're, you're totally not able to think? Or is your arousal in that sort of just right ready zone, as I like to call it, the space where you're able to focus and attend on the task? And one of the reasons I think it is really important to have an understanding of arousal is because it's a neurological process that we don't necessarily always have control over. So it's something that can hijack us and our kids and 
it's not necessarily something in the moment that we've got control over because it's a neurological process that our body is trying to maintain homeostasis all the time. And it's also trying to keep us safe at different times. And it might decide that our arousal needs to go up because we're not safe or it's not feeling safe. So in the same moment, lots of children could be in different levels of arousal in the depending yep. on their experiences of that situation. A hundred percent. And and that could be because, you know, one child might not have slept last night because they just didn't have a good night's sleep, so their arousal is probably low. One child might be feeling a bit sick or, might, you know, I've got a bit of sinusitis at the moment. That gives me a bit of a headache most of the time. That becomes very tiring. One child, you might have just said it's math, and they absolutely find math really difficult. So their arousal may have shot through the roof because you've just said we're about to start math and they're panicking because they know that it is a challenge for them. Another child might be in the ready zone because they're like, yeah, cool, I've, I've got this. Another child might love math. So their their arousal might have gone up a little bit because they're excited that it's math and not literacy because math is their subject. So yeah, through, throughout your classroom, not just the children, the teachers and the teaching assistants are going to have different states of arousal. And that's the same is true. You know, teachers typically their Monday arousal is usually better than their Friday arousal because they're absolutely knackered by Friday and they just want the day to be done with because they've had five days of, you know, being on all the time and they're, and they're tired. So, and it'll also depend on yeah, it'll just depend on what's happening for you in that moment. If you're hungry, if you're tired, if you're sick, if you've had some great news, if it's your birthday, you know, if it's the anniversary of when someone you love died, you know, there's lots of things that will affect our level of arousal when we're in day to day. I like discussing arousal as level and your energy levels. Yeah. Because it's the thing is how stimulated you are yes. is the other one. And that's the sort of thing is it almost like when I hear the word stimulated, I generally think of an external stimulant. Mm-hmm. However, what you just discussed with all those children is kind of very internal to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's so there are different triggers. I like to break triggers into history, external and internal. So what's happened in the past that might make this a challenging a, a challenging thing for you? So is there trauma in your your history that makes kind of walking into a room with dogs you know if you if you had a bad experience with a dog when you see a dog your arousal goes up because you've had a bad experience in the past not because maybe that dog you've just seen has done anything but you've had a dog in the past that yep. has caused a problem for you what's going on internally for you and most of that is your interoceptive what interoceptive sense so hungry tired illness and then also what are you thinking about you know we all get kids that come in and like they're it's their birthday so they know they're having a party in the that evening or they're having a party on the weekend so from monday like you're not getting anything out of them because they know it's their birthday party in the weekend and that's all they're talking about and they're they're around they're stimulated by that and their their arousal's a bit higher through the week or you've got kids that are potentially and I find this a lot, particularly in autism, that something might not be right or they're thinking about the fact that, you know, you've changed the display or you've not put your pen in the place you normally put it. So that's that's sort of an internal thought that they might be having. And then there's the external stuff. So what's going on in the environment? What's going on with the task, sort of the activity you're, you're given? And, and that would be 
different for all of us. Like I know when I when I drive, I start to I don't particularly enjoy driving, particularly if there's a lot of traffic or if it's raining. So you know, driving the other night, it was raining and there was a lot of traffic, and I just I know I get a bit more frustrated and angry more quickly because that's the state that kind of that external thing. And it's not so much, it's not me internally as a driver, it's all the stuff that's happening externally on the road frustrates me and increases my arousal. So yeah, you've got what, what's happened in the past. What are, and also that includes cumulative experience. So through the day, you know, a child that maybe finds noise a bit overloading, they might be great on days they don't have assembly and PE, but on the day that they've got both assembly and PE and that's all in the hall, they, they might, their arousal by the end of the day might be, might be not in the ready zone. Yeah, what's happening externally and what's happening internally. And all of those will be act, acting upon and triggering your arousal state. So the internal and external is quite interesting because you talked about like a pen not being in the right place on the teacher's desk or so the board not having yeah. done. It's sort of like, well, that's an external, yes. but it's kind of, but it's internal because it's kind of what you're saying is most people are fine with it, but that child's not. Therefore, mm. it's an internal thing. Yeah. And like with your driving, mm. I think, especially if you drive in London, mm. I learned to drive in Croydon. Yes. And a gap is giant. Yes, that's a giant gap. I can easily fit in there. If you grew up, if you learn to drive in the country, there is no gap. Yeah. And it's interesting is in theory, you could say that London traffic is an external impact. It's mm-hmm. a stimulus, mm. but it's your perception of it. So it's yeah. actually an internal thing because yeah. I can go in there and go, that's fine. Yeah. Loads of room. Yeah. And the person the car behind me going, how can anyone drive in this? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. Some things are internal because you, what you've got kind of going is, well, you have a problem with that, but actually the norm is that should be okay. And, and there's a whole of what is the norm. That's okay. in, that, yeah. <laughs> you that's said that word, not me. <laughs> the norm. Well, it is, what is, because it's socially acceptable. I don't like that because some people, well, I don't accept it. So there's, there's got to be a new term. Okay. Almost non, no one agreed it, but it seems to be the that status quo. Status quo. But yeah. no one agrees with it, but that's no. the way it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. So, yeah, to me, when I think of things like an arousal and the whole thing, it was a lot of it was focused on that external. Mm. And and you got and I think about like kids coming in after break. Mm-hmm. They've mm-hmm. had that they played that football match, they won, or it was a yeah, really yeah. bad someone said it wasn't a goal when they know they scored. Yeah, yeah. They're yes. coming in really aroused, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. And you've got to transition. You've got to bring that arousal level down. Yes. So they can get into that learning. Into the ready zone to be learning. Yeah. And so there will be some kids. You know, I I actually one of my schools, we we've open the li- they open the library up at lunch, particularly for the last half, because they know that some of the kids, they can't manage the whole of lunchtime break play without having a problem at the end, you know, because they just get so overexcited. So yep. there's a few kids that they bring into the library. You know, they do their first 20 minutes, but that last 10 minutes, they bring them in because that's usually when the kids themselves aren't able to regulate their arousal and they get too overexcited. And that's usually when then then there's a, what we tend to see is then the behavior problem and we see it as behavior, but there's a piece of sort of stepping back and going, what happened in the history? Okay. They've got excited, 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 excited. They can't, some of our kids just can't regulate their arousal in order to not end up in a problem. And before you can regulate, you have to recognize. Yes. That's the thing is recognizing that they are 
getting tax dysregulated, the higher yeah. arousal is starting to be dysregulated. That's the first thing to recognize that is huge. Yeah. And Emma Goodall's, she did a lot of work on interoception and her model within her PhD, stage one was recognizing and, and, and then noticing. And what I think is missing a lot of the time when we teach this to kids is we're not teaching them the recognizing of the sensation of how our body feels. So we're teaching them the emotion or the feeling word, so happy or excited, but we're not teaching, oh, the energy in my body's gone up. I feel a little bit jiggly. My voice has got really loud. I'm moving really fast. I'm My body's going into other people's spaces, which is sort of the the physical sensations that or in the physical things that are occurring to indicate you're excited. And if you're not able to be, if you're not aware of those things, it's harder for you then to know you're overexcited and then to know what to do to change it. So I, a lot of the time I see that piece of recognizing what's going on with your body missed out in the way that we're teaching a lot of our kids self-regulation. Previous on the podcast, Claire Ward, and it's just when she said it, it was like, that's really obvious. But yet I'd actually probably completely forgotten that, but they're called feelings because you feel yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not they're not really emotions. They, we call them emotions, but if you go yes. back to feelings, yeah. then we are feeling them and it is part yeah. of your body. When you're angry. It's, it's in your body. It's in your, you're, you're tense, yeah. you tense up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's in Emma Goodall's model, she actually, t- she, she calls them feelings and then emotions and she separates it out in terms of feelings are the sensation in your body and emotion is that sort of vocabulary word that we associate with those feelings. I think these days, it colloquially, feelings and emotions are just used interchangeably. So I like to think more about the sensations in your body because that has a different connotation than the feelings because kids automatically jump to sad, happy, tired, frustrated. I was trying to work out, have we dropped the word feeling? But I go, no, because I, I do ask how my kid's feeling. I don't ask them, how mm. are you emotionizing today? Yes, exactly. I'm not even sure what that word would be. <laughs> Are you emotioning? Are How you... are your emotions? What emotion? But you don't normally say what emotion are you feeling? So you'd link it in together. So anyway, <laughs> it's <laughs> we've, we've slightly digressed. <laughs> never, we never digress on this podcast. No, ever. Never, ever. <laughs> but as you said, there is all that external stimulus, which is really huge. Mm-hmm. But what I hadn't realized is how much also that internal mm. and your perception of what's gone on. Mm-hmm. And remember, if someone feels it and believes it, it it's true. Mm. You can't just dismiss it. Yeah. Because there's a whole other bit that goes after that. Yes. Even if they their perception is wrong from your point of view. But yeah, that internal stuff is huge. And often the external can become very much an internal. Mm. Yeah, so they, they, over, they, they, over, they, they overlap because obviously the external thing might be finished. The football match is finished. But internally, the child's brain is still processing and thinking about it. So, yeah. And that is, so the piece that I think is really important for people to understand is that is a neurological process. So when our arousal increases, there's this part of our nervous system called the autonomic nervous system, which I'm sure someone on this podcast has spoken about before. I don't know how many parts of the nervous system there are, but I probably have. So the, the autonomic nervous system, by its name, it suggests it's sort of automatic. So we can influence it a little bit, but we don't have huge influence over it. It's just 
constantly in the background keeping us alive. You know, if yep. we start to run, it increases the rate at which our heart pumps because it knows that we need to get the blood around faster because the muscles are using more oxygen. When we go to sleep, it down-regulates everything. It starts our digestive system. It allows us to lower our arousal so we can go to sleep. But what's really important to remember is it's, it is automatic. So it will kick in when it thinks the body is in danger and it will kick in when it thinks the body is safe. So they often call it rest and digest and fight and flight. So we've got the parasympathetic side. So it's got two branches and one side increases heart rate, increases breathing, increases level of arousal, you know, dilates pupils. It, it, it gets the body essentially ready to fight or flight or freeze. It, it's, it's up, 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 up. And, the, and, and it stops digestion. And I think it's I think it's Borges who thinks that some of the digestive system issues like irritable bowel syndrome is actually more linked to the autonomic nervous system because he's like, you know, people that kind of don't go, don't go, then go, then don't go. It, it's linked to that kind of that urgency of my 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 arousal's high. I don't need to be digesting food now. I need it. But I also your body does something in that moment. It's like when you go into VRs, people feel ill. Mm. Yes. It's kind of your, I think it's like your stomach has prepared itself by doing something, expecting it to be really bounced around. Yeah. Yes. So it's changed what's in your stomach, gets more acidic, whatever it, or does, whatever it is. And then when it, it, what it's expecting doesn't happen, it's like going, well, I shouldn't be in this situation. I'm almost like, I'm ready for this and it yes. hasn't happened. And now I, I shouldn't be in this state. And that's yeah. when you, it says, it is amazing how much it protects you, all these little mm. things. Mm. So when you're running, you're obviously moving faster. So your yes. senses, all kick in much faster. Yeah. Obviously, I, I'm, I run a lot. <laughs> you do run. You were telling me earlier that someone listens to you whilst they're running. Yes, yeah, so technically. So you're technically running. I run. Weekly. I, I assume weekly. <laughs> I'm not feeling any effect yet. But it is it, it is that, it, it is an automatic process. So it's like, and, and I see a lot of the time people talking at children and telling them to calm down, but they're not necessarily able to calm down in that moment because it's their, their autonomic nervous systems increase their arousal. And it's, it's sort of like you know, if there's a spider in the room and you hate spiders, me telling you to calm down is not going to make a lick of difference because your autonomic nervous system's like, spider, spider, spider's still there. Where's the spider? And even for some people, when you kill the spider and take it out of the room. They're still, ah, spider, are there any more? Has it got any friends? What's going on? Even if you just think there was a spider, yeah. the response kicks in. Yes. It doesn't matter if people. it was the top of a tomato. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like if you, yeah, if you perceive that it's a, potentially a spider, you have that, that moment of like, what is that? And that is an autonomic sort of, reaction and until that's kind of gone away your 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 brain's not necessarily going to stop that automatic increase in arousal i think it was finton who talked about that once you get into that that fight or flight yeah fight flight freeze if you then don't do that so it's got the adrenaline rate you're supposed to be running away you haven't run away okay we're going to be running away in a minute it kind of keeps you in this i'm ready to run when you are yeah yeah we're ready just tell me when tell me when and I'm still ready. <laughs> yeah. Are we and, going? <laughs> and sometimes that trigger for kids is like continually there. So it might be a sound they find frustrating. It might be that work is actually just really hard for them in the classroom. So every subject is kind of 
any or any subject that includes writing. So say Charter is finds holding a pencil hard. Any subject that includes holding a pencil, which is most of the school day, increases their arousal. So it's very challenging then when you are in that heightened state to downregulate because it's 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 a neurological process. And whilst we do have we have got some control. So we have got some cortical control. So you might see something and want to scream, but you can stop yourself from screaming, but only for so long. Because <laughs> once the body's decided, actually, no, you're really not safe, it is going to, it is going to kick in. So we can inhibit stuff for a period of time, but not not indefinitely. It's the same with like if you need to go to the toilet, most people you you get three or four indicators from your brain. You're like, all right, we're, we're kind of getting full. You need to go. Yeah, we really, we're quite full now. You really need to go. And then it will, your bladder will empty at some point. If you don't go, your brain is just going to be like, yeah, no, no, no. We're not inhibiting anymore. We are going because we're full. Have, have you have ever had that thing when you arrive at a hotel needing a toilet? Yes. And you're going, oh, I need a toilet. It'll be fine. As you get closer to your room, your body is already knowing, okay, we're 30 seconds on the toilet, we can we can start this process. And you're literally going, I'm still in the corridor. Yeah, no, I don't know if the key works. <laughs> and your body's going, yeah, we'll be there in a second. Everyone, let's go. And you have this thing, it's like, come on, body. I yeah. don't want to. That's, it is phenomenal when you think you have control over your yeah, body. Which, which, but this subconscious which bit you, has worked out. Yeah, yeah. You'll yeah. be in the toilet in a second. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to discuss toilet stuff, but but it's but, the, but it's a it's a really good example of kind of yes, you can inhibit and you can stop something if you've got good executive function, you can inhibit for a period of time, but ultimately your autonomic nervous system will win if 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 it needs to win, it will win. Like it 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 even though there is kind of. I mean, we used to think the brain was very linear. We know now that there is a continual backward and forward between the lower, what, what were perceived as kind of the lower and the higher order parts of the brain. And the, the, the cortex can inhibit for a point, but eventually that those, those safety mechanisms within the brain will just take over. I, I can describe some of my migraines in that way. If I work really hard and you push it too far, my body can kind of go. Just shut down. No, it will cope with it. Okay. It will cope with it. And I probably do do more than I should do. Yes. Especially as you get older. You think, oh, I'm still 20. I can do all this. And then you go, and then you get to the end of that project or that deadline, and then I just... You're knackered. I am not that... I'm in bed for two days yeah. with that migraine. And, it, and yeah. I've just come to this, yeah, you, you could put me off for a bit. Yes. But you're going to get catch, it. Yeah, it'll it will catch, catch up. you up. Yeah, and that's kind of... We do... that, And, you know, there's lots of people you... Lots of teachers you talk through. They'll they'll ward off the flu or the the cold until half term, and the minute that like it's literally like the minute like lunchtime, the Friday of half term, like that illness kicks in because they've kind of they've they've managed to sort of hold it together, but eventually that neurological body system just it and, does take and over. You might not really have the flu. This is the whole thing. You wouldn't probably can't really put off a virus, but. You can probably use all your energy up fighting it yes. and you have to replenish that energy. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so 
I'd love to actually, because you can't just go, hey, I'll put the virus off. Yeah, you're not going to, yeah. But it is that fight, like what you've said, it's that fighting it off and your body's using the energy to fight it off, but you do deplete. Eventually you deplete the level of energy in your body. You know, you can stay awake. You could stay awake for two days, but eventually your body will send you to sleep. Yeah. You can say, I'm staying awake, I'm staying awake, I'm staying awake, but eventually your body will send you to sleep. It's the same with, it's the same with holding your breath. Like my parents used to always like, you know, kids sometimes like, I'm going to hold my breath until you're like, give me the ice cream. And my parents were just always like, all right, hold your breath. Because the reality is you can only hold your breath until the other part of the brain kicks in and goes, yeah, no love, you got to breathe. Like, like you're about to, you're going to die otherwise, so I'm taking over now. <laughs> like, I'm taking over. And I suppose you probably get to the point that some children, some people probably could fight it that the longer they become unconscious. They might become unconscious. And then, it goes, then they'll yeah, start breathing. No, yeah, then you'll start, yeah. It always, it always wins. Yeah, like it It will, It it that, that part of the brain, it does have ultimate say at the end of the day because it's keeping you alive. So I'm just literally thinking of my next questions. So I'm going to go to the form which just made me laugh is, so you, you, you talked about the ready zone, the group. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I like to, I like to call it the ready zone because I've used, so on my model, which I'm developing, it's, it, I've used so many different terminologies historically and like there's just right and blah, 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 blah. But I just, I find the ready zone, it encapsulates everything and it fits every situation. Was the Goldilocks zone yeah, Goldilocks. Uh, Goldilocks is another. You know, that's that's a that's another one. I don't actually. Goldilocks is probably out of copyright now, but it's <laughs> it is that point of being just right in that space that I like ready zone because it's kind of matching the situation you're in. Because there are some situations where you do want a bit of a higher arousal. Like if you are playing a football match, you you don't want to be tired. If you're trying to get a baby to sleep, you need to down. Like the ready zone for getting a baby, yeah. The ready zone for getting a baby to sleep is a bit lower than that kind of perfect, optimal, just right state as it's looked at sometimes. So I like ready zone. I'm going to come back to that. Yeah, co-zoning. I'm going to call that, but I'll come back to that. So my question is: is if you want someone in the ready zone, and that ready zone is ready to learn, yes, you want them switched on, yes, and they're in the falling asleep zone, yes, you just pop a balloon. I mean, that might send them too far. It depends on the child. Yeah, it depends on the child. Like some children, if the child genuinely didn't sleep last night, they might actually just need to have a rest. But if you've got a child whose level arousal is generally lower, typically some movement will help to wake them up a bit more or a cold drink or something like that will just help to get their attention a little bit more increased so they can attend to the math lesson so to me is is there's the you're really tired because you're really tired and it's yeah. not regular it's not your normal you're normally yeah, yeah, yeah. you're sick you're normally or like ready you for didn't this. sleep yeah at that point you just become a bit more compassionate yeah i i, I think there there is a space for that because you know as an adult like you know if you if you're not feeling well it is really hard to muster up that attention to engage in what you're doing so yeah, particularly for kids that are usually on it and switched on and ready, if they are struggling one day and it, you know, you know they're sick or you know they're maybe their sibling's not in school that day because they're sick, but that kid is in. You kind of like, well, usually that stuff goes around in families, so you're probably you're probably sick. Or if you share a room with your sibling and they've been up coughing all night, you're probably not going to have slept that well. 
Um, yeah, so I think for me there's that piece around, well, you know, you just need some sleep or you might need some food. But, yeah, so just generally lower arousal can be increased through movement, something a bit cold, something like that. So if someone, if someone is, and I, everyone refers to me as Mr. Horizontal, mm. so I'm probably in the, I'm ready. Yes. But I'm just, not, just give me a second. Yes. But I don't mean I'm, I'm slow. It is, I'm not quick to anger. I'm not quick. I'm just, I, I'll think things through before I, so it is, Probably, I'm probably too, I'm out of that. I'm a bit below where I should be. So there are probably children who are in that same zone that are probably always, it's not dysregulated or unregulated, it's lower, lower, lower arousal. arousal. It's yeah, just, lower they're arousal. always lower arousal where they should be. Yeah. So you probably have a load of strategies around those movements yeah. and things like that. Yeah, I mean, just ge- general movement breaks can be great for them. So jumping, running on the spot, it's... A little bit of movement that includes sort of twisting, so maybe touching touching your right foot with your – so putting your head down, touching your right foot with your left hand and then coming up and switching or just twisting around and touching your back or trying to touch your back so your, your head's turning around. You can do that sitting in a chair as well. You can sit on a chair and twist. So, yeah, for those kids that are that are tend to be more lower arousal or, or cold, cold drink, things like that, to kind of that you can – I, I always like to try and suggest stuff that you can easily do in the classroom because I'm just mindful that we're really short of staff a lot of the time. So we can't be like, go out and do like this lovely circuit that takes 10 minutes because you're not necessarily going to have the staff to do that. So I've done little movement break cards for the kids I work with that are just sort of on their desk and they can just stand up or or they're in a specific place in the classroom or maybe in the corridor outside the classroom, but just somewhere that is still the teacher can still observe but the child can go and do 10 star jumps 10 running on the spot 10 kind of, I call them windmills so touching your foot so that they're getting that opportunity to move to then come and sit back down so is this why I always like cold drinks yeah cold, cold is a very alerting cold is very alerting because people sit there and go like I like people who love water so like, oh, you can't have cold water I'm literally going that's the best it kind of so I'm realizing actually yeah, and fizzy drinks like cold and fizzy would like <laughs> I love literally all of you listening. I just watch me with every person who comes in diagnosing another part of me. <laughs> I'm literally got going. Hang on, this is really quite. Hang on, you're you're describing me. Mm, cold and fizzy drinks were just, it, but that's because particularly because the but again neurologically. The mouth has got a lot of receptors, so neurological receptors. It's got more actually than the hand. And it also, it's a cranial nerve. So instead of having to go through the spinal cord, so kind of if you feel something on your hand, it's going all the way to your spinal cord, it's connecting, it's then going up the spinal cord, it's then connecting, it's then going into the brain. Your face has got cranial nerves, so it goes straight into the brain with like one connection. So anything on your face is a much more highly intense sensation than necessarily other sensations. So cold and bubbly in your mouth is a really intense, immediate sensation. Okay, we can end there then. Um, okay, so we've talked about... <laughs> no, we've got to do the, the higher yeah, arousal, say, the opposite. Say, we, can't just, that- we can't just talk about you. <laughs> 
Why like, not? Why not? It's um, the only reason I do this podcast. <laughs> so that's the thing is, but in reality, what I was going for is before we got into the higher arousal is if children are low aroused, generally they're the ones you ignore. They're the ones who probably drop off your radar in the classroom. They can. Because they're not presenting any problems. They are often the ones that are missed because, yeah, what tends to get picked up the quickest in classrooms is behaviour that's disruptive or problematic behaviour as it's called in some of the writing. But sort of disruptive behaviour is what's immediately picked up and immediately supported. And the kids that are that more lower arousal, because they're not causing a problem to the class, they're not distracting your lesson, they are they, they can be missed. I mean, most teachers would know most teachers would know who they are, though, like especially by the time you get to sort of January through the term or, you know, once you're a term in, you know who that sort of quieter kid is, but they can slip through the cracks more readily. It's also important to differentiate, I would say, on that point that some of the kids that are that might look lowly aroused are actually in shutdown. So they're so highly aroused that their body's just not able to process so they're kind of overloaded and they're shut down so giving them more sensory input or more movement will actually cause them to shut down further often those are the kids that are trying to hide under the desk or that have just kind of they're, they're almost more in a frozen they've, they've gone more into freeze and shut down because everything's just too much for them so almost like I was just saying earlier you can only have so much up here yeah you've then got to come back down and you average yeah. it out yeah. So actually, if they're quiet, you go, actually, there's a really good reason. Okay. Okay, so let's go into that high arousal zone. Yeah. So, and that's what we, I think, is typically more focused on in schools and partly because that's usually what's more disruptive. And it's it's also usually more obvious. So if someone's level, not always, because some people freeze and go into that more shutdown or go really quiet. It's really interesting. I was listening to something recently that was talking about women crying in offices like in meetings and stuff and the they were talking very much around how a lot of the women would say that where they got so angry that they were crying they weren't upset they were angry <laughs> and it it came out as as crying and they're because their level of arousal got so high that their crying was sort of their their reaction to it so we we all we typically see over arousal you know it, it might be presenting as anger it might be presenting as kind of calling out it might be presenting as really disorganized movement but we, we we typically see higher arousal but yeah some some kids will have held it together and they might some kids might hold it together to a point like we were talking about neurologically you can hold it together but then you might completely lose it because you've you've kind of ignored those I'm a little bit dysregulated. I'm a little bit more dysregulated. I'm a bit more dysregulated. Hey, you're getting dysregulated. And you, you've ignored it, you've ignored it, you've ignored it. And then it's just like, it's, And, and we've, all, we've all exploded at our kids for yes. something that wasn't their fault. Yeah. But yeah, they a, were that last bit. Yeah. It's the last perfect, bit. It's a perfect example. It, it's an absolutely perfect example in terms of, you know, and it might be that, you're doing the morning routine and you've, you know, it's every step of that routine has been frustrating, but that final bit of like picking the school bag up and the child didn't like is the bit that starts you yelling. And it's, that's because you've inhibited throughout breakfast. You've inhibited throughout teeth brushing. You've inhibited throughout dressing. You've inhibited throughout getting the shoes on. And just that final bit of like, just pick up your bag. <laughs> you, you can't inhibit anymore. 
And I would say, although nearly every factor in that is external, the way you're processing it is it's an internal thing. I.e., yes. if that's happened, it's finished. Yes. If it's still in your head, yes. that's an internal thing. And yes. generally, I found that I might be stressed about doing something with car insurance or looking at how many yes. zeros on the end and then trying to work out how okay, it can't be this much or whatever. You're doing something or there's a hole in the ceiling in your house, whatever it is, and your child just comes along with a really silly request and you say no politely and then they come back and then you, you just you snap. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it is that final bit Yeah. that you are keeping it together. Yes. But you're going, right, if it's just – it's not like your body going, right, if we've just got to deal with this – Almost like you want to get to that bit so you can really solve yeah. the problem. You need to get, how am I going to? And then that comes in. It's like, wasn't expecting that. I can't cope with this now. Boom. I'm over. Like I, I've hit overload and I, I, I am done. And like you say, you, as adults, we can typically do it politely maybe the first time. But that, again, that's that inhibiting of those lower level brain bits that are just like, no, <laughs> like go away. You, you can do it politely the first time, but. We, we we run out of capacity to continually be and that's not an excuse. And and I think that's that's where the, the skill the skill then becomes the first time explaining to your daughter. And we and we we're, I think as adults we're not great at doing this sometimes. It's saying like, look, I'm trying to sort out the car insurance. It's really frustrating me. Can I come to you when I'm done? But because you're already increased arousal because of the car insurance you're not having the cognitive capacity to give your daughter a the nice, response. Simple, poor, clear explanation. Would, yeah, and that would also stop her from coming back. Because if you said to her, look, I'm really stressed, I'm just trying to do this, I'll come to you in an hour or I'll come to you as soon as I'm done, she'd go, and, you know, we do this with our communication all the time, but this is, this is actually a really important point, which I cover in my training, is like you, when your arousal level is higher, you have less access to your thinking part of the brain, you have less access to language, which is also what happens to our kids. You know, some of our kids go mute when their 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 arousal is too high. Oh, they can't. And quite often, people will be like, "What's going on? What's happening?" And like the kids can't explain it because <laughs> they've lost access to their language centers of their brain, and they're they're then getting more upset, and the adults are talking at them more, and it, it it's actually quite a vicious cycle of not really coming to a solution because the kids don't have access to good, you know, clear explanations with language. Like I like, there's a book called The Chimp Paradox. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. It explains it well. technically correct, but it's a, to me it's good enough. Yes. So in your head, there's a chimp, yeah. which is literally, you say something, it's throwing poo right back at you. Yeah. Yeah, it's literally, it's that first thing which comes out of your mouth. When you're in an argument, yes. the chimp is in full control. Yes. Yeah, it's saying those things you are definitely regretting the moment it leaves your mouth. That is the chimp. Yeah. Then you have the computer, which is that thing going, right, actually the best response in this situation is to calmly explain that blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And hence, previous is that really well thought out thing, yeah. which always comes after you finish yes. the argument. Yeah. yeah. But that's because your arousal side. And that's, that's kind of, I tend to call them rat brain and thinking brain. And that's like, it's your limbic system versus your cortex. And the chimp is your limbic system. The computer is your cortex. And the minute you've, the minute you have sort of let that rat or that chimp take over, your limbic system's in control. It's you have less access to the other parts of your brain and you tend to make things worse. And what I love about it is when I start explaining it this way, everyone sort of goes, mm. Yeah, I've been there. And you, yeah, and you say, chimp has. is that out of control, blah, blah, blah. 
basically your arousal is kind of saying, if my arousal is really low, I'm going to go to the computer every time. The more Not aroused necessarily. I get. Well, you might get both responses. If your arousal is really low, your limbic system is also kind of running the show a bit more. So you're not going to... Like, does something else come in or is it back to the chimp? It's back to the chimp. So like if you're... If, you're, free, if you're really sick, it is. It's like if you're really sick, you can't give that well-formulated answer because your brain's just focusing on getting better. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Or if you're really tired, you you can't... So it, it happens at, at, at both ends. And if you want to get really technical in it, Porter's polyvagal theory would say like that freeze at the top is also kind of kicking it, it's a high arousal that looks like a, a low arousal but it's a different part of the same nervous system but it's yeah so there's kind of there's the three parts kind of all linking in together and it is at at, at either end you know if you're really tired you're not going to be the best conversative partner with your 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 partner like and you're not going to be very helpful you know they're coming in saying let's plan the holidays you're just going to be like oh can we just do it tomorrow like Yes, because actually a lot of time when you are in that mood, let's do it tomorrow. Mm. If it's something they should be looking forward to and they're saying, let's do it tomorrow, yes. you basically mean they're overstimulated and they're kind of doing that shutting shut down. down. Yeah, yeah. And and so that's back to the, that's kind of both ends really are, are chimp type responses. Yeah. So if someone is highly aroused, yes. what should you not do? So not do, number one, talk at them. Number two, come at them highly aroused yourself so like calm down like never helped anyone in the world calm down when said in a loud shouty voice and also not really that helpful because if they could calm down they nobody wants to be dysregulated <laughs> like it's not nice it doesn't feel nice for you it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel nice for anyone to be dysregulated so you know if the child could calm down or the person the adult could calm down they they would have done that. And I think one thing I see a lot as well is just, just breathe, breathe and calm down. It's like, again, like if you want a child to breathe, the best way to support them to breathe is to just stand with them and breathe and exaggerate your own breathing. You know, for younger kids, you might want to grab their hands and breathe in, take your hands up, breathe out, take them down if, the, if they'll let you do that. Because by modeling what you want to see, you're – supporting and engaging <laughs> that rat brain or chimp brain you're you're engaging that and that social connection to support them to calm down because they can't access thinking brain you know, some kids like a hug or a massage some kids find going for a walk helpful some children find food or a drink helpful some children i have worked with kids that do just like being by themselves and actually having an adult in their space is not helpful. And, you know, in that situation, you need to make sure that the child is in a safe space that you can observe them, but maybe give them five minutes. And it might be you say, look, and you've got a timer, I'll be back in five, but I'm going to let you, I'm just going to let you chill for five. Because, you know, some, some kids don't find having an adult in their space when they're highly aroused helpful. I remember with my daughter, my eldest, when she was, young probably at four or five she used to get five six i can't remember it was she used to get so worked up and she'd be so worried about all the stuff that haven't happened yes. yet that was going to happen and you could see her her breathing would yeah. just get and literally just me and her and she's crying and she's yeah. really struggling to speak and you're just going it's like come on we've got to calm down and she's just looking at you like really just that's uh, a lovely phrase <laughs> 
yeah, thanks, and Dad. We thanks. just sit there and just breathing. And as I just use it, I'm no idea why it came from. I don't know if I saw it in a film or wherever. I don't know, but it's just that over the top. <gasps> just really yeah. slow. And just even though yeah. she wasn't copying me at the beginning, just keep it going. And she yes. slowly yeah. started to copy and we calmed down. Yeah. And I had no idea about arousal at that point. It must, I no, must but, have seen it, but it was just, I think you watch kids blowing into paper bags and all that sort of yes. stuff. It's that sort yeah. of stuff. And I just remember seeing it and it, and it worked. We did it for a couple of years yes. and then it's kind of either she grew out of it or actually she learned to do it herself. herself. And that's, and that is, I think that taps into a really important part of being able to self-regulate that starts with co-regulation. So we teach babies, you know, good enough caregiving teaches babies how to calm down. You know, when a baby cries, you pick them up, you hug them, you make noises, you rock them, you do whatever the thing is that calms that particular child down. And as they grow up, they, they learn over time to do that themselves. So your daughter will have learned over time in those situations to use that strategy more independently. And it might be when she's hugely dysregulated, she still needs your support. But a small amount of dysregulation, she could manage herself. And I think that's also something I see a lot of the time in schools is we're expecting children, particularly young children, to self-regulate before they're ready to do that. And they actually still need that support, that co-regulation, that relationship, because we are social beings. They still need that social support to help with the calming down. So if... So I was just literally thinking, I don't know if it's, re- co- it's co-regulation, but it is that when like you've got a really young child, mm-hmm. I'm talking like two months old, you generally rock them to yeah. sleep and you're really calm. Yes. I'm going to call it co-arousalation. No, it's co-regulation. It's co- it's that yeah. You're literally sort of feeding them. Yes. Look, this time of night, yeah, it's we're all time. calm and we're very stationary yeah. and we're very still. Yeah. And this is what happens. You, you show them at this yes. time, this is what we do. And after a while, they don't need you to do it because they've learned, they've learned to do it that, time, that, that time yeah. scale to bring it down yeah. into, actually, at this point, this is what I need to sleep and this is yeah. going to help me. And it's, yeah, it's, it's learned kind of with the schedule and the time, but also as children develop, they are able to get their breathing and just get, the, I mean, little babies, are, the, the whole world is very new to them. Yes. <laughs> Like they need a huge amount of support to regulate. And you'll see, they also know when you're putting it on so that they can feel when you're stressed, but trying to be calm, which is, is the space most parents end up in because they are so sleep deprived and they've got no idea whether it's, you know, morning or afternoon, they're just trying to get, get through the day. But it's like, I, I tend to find I can get children off to sleep most of my friends' kids, I can get them off to sleep like when they were little. And part of that is because I am well slept, I am not stressed, and I don't smell like milk. Yeah. Whereas if mum's trying to get that child to sleep, she's probably not slept. She's trying to get this kid to sleep. And particularly if she's breastfeeding, she smells like milk. So like the kid's like, no, 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 there's food here. So it is that that piece of we, we do teach kids and we teach them that we we will be there for them. And that you, you'll notice as the children get older, just the sound of your voice will calm them down because they're used to you coming and being there. So you've got a bit more of a window of like, 
yeah, yeah, I'm just coming. I'll be there in a minute. And like the sound of your footsteps calms them down, kind of coming closer and you can maybe turn the laundry on and then go and get to them over time because they've learned that, that your voice is helping to calm them down and regulate as well. I do actually remember my rocking my youngest, listening to baby Einstein CDs and stuff. Yeah. And it was, if you were stressed and wanting to go, it always took longer. Yes. But it was a really good thing, which lasted so long for me, is you had to get into that zone yourself. Yes. So I yeah, used yeah. to kind of use that time to just, you know, look back and go, I probably just did mindfulness. You, are, you were doing mindfulness. I was literally down. just sitting there <laughs> emptying my head and it was just me and my daughter and the yeah. music and nothing else. Yeah, yeah. Problem is, it got so good. I get into that zone that every time we watched in the night garden that twenty-minute program, which started at six and six twenty, I had a sleep. Nice. Most nights. Nice. So I really just got into. I'm with my kids. We're in yeah. this program. We're watching it, and I'm asleep. Yeah. And I would wake up at the end of the night. It was just fun, but it was. It really helped me regulate as well. Yeah, but that's but I think you've tapped into a very, very important point around you're never going to regulate someone by yelling at them. Or if your level of arousal is also really high, you're not going to be able to support someone else, whether that be an adult or a child, to regulate. So it taps back into that sort of well-being, our own well-being and putting on your own oxygen mask first in terms of making sure that, and I, I'm sure other guests have said this on the podcast, like it's, it's, you need to be regulated and calm in order to be able to support someone else get back into that ready zone. So the podcast Power of Mood with Finton O'Regan was just yeah. on that. Yeah. It's actually how you can de-escalate the situation. If you send that person to a TA instead of the head teacher, very different outcome because of perception yeah. and things like they're going to be, they're, they're going to get high, highly aroused because it's a head teacher. And so yes. It's loads of things like that. Now you talked about when you're highly aroused, the negative impact of having an adult in the room. Not for every, like some kids really need the adult in the room. Other kids don't. And then that's really individual. And for those who don't get why I, I basically the simple version from my point of view is that's something I'm going to have to deal with. Yeah. That adult is reminding me that when I finally calm down, they're then going to start shouting at me because what I did was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That's that thing. It's that I can't deal with it because I know it's going to go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So by you not being in there, you can deal with where I am right now, what's in front of me. And if nothing's in front of me, I can kind of deal with it. I can then choose when I walk out that door. Yeah. And when I talk to the adult, but while the adult's watching me in my head, I, not that I was ever told if I was a perfect child, like they're waiting for a symbol to start telling me off for what I've done. Yes. And the whole time you're there kind of watching them from whatever your point of view, whatever your reason in there, that child's point of view, for those who don't want the adult in the room, it's probably looking at it going almost like it's going to get worse again. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, because and it's also more. It, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's exactly as you're saying. It's more to process. Yeah, it's also a social engagement that they might not be ready for. And then there is that piece of and and it it takes time to really calm down and get that thinking brain back engaged. Yeah, we don't just go from highly dysregulated to regulated and calm straight away. It takes time. So yeah, for the the kids that 
find it easier to do that by themselves, it then, I like how you phrase that actually, it gives them that control of, okay, yeah, I've got my thinking brain back on now. I can, yeah. I can manage that. Whereas, yeah, but I, I would just caveat that's not every child. No. Like th- there are certain children that in my experience find it much easier to not have an adult on their back. <laughs> yeah. And that thing is, there are going to be children who want hugs yes. or just want someone there or yeah. just to be next to you because yeah, yeah. it's like having that person protecting me. Yeah? yeah. And it might be anyone will do. Yes. But it might be a specific person yeah. will do. Yeah. But if it is that person who doesn't want anyone in the room, you've got to find a way to safely respect that and you resolve the issue much quicker. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it, it's – Again, you know, different schools have got different spaces available, but it might just be the corridor outside the classroom or it might be a spare room or it might be, you know, even outside one of the schools, got they, they, they sit, there's a space outside the medical room. So there's an adult in the medical room, but the space outside doesn't have anyone there. So even though that, you know, they're not that far away, but they're not there next to the child. And that will be different. That will be very different depending on the school. And one of the things, when you have that higher out, basically you've then got to unpick how you got there. Yes, but you can't do that until... At that moment. That might come a week or yeah, two like later. When you say what not to do, that's the other thing. It's like, why are you so angry? Like, don't try and engage that conversation of kind of the, the trigger at that point. Allow the child to sort of calm down. And I also personally find when you are doing that, it's often quite easier to do it with a whiteboard or some paper and actually get the child to draw out what happened. Because I find when the kids can draw it, it's easier for them to go through the elements. And then you can go back and go, okay, so this and this and this happened. And quite often the kids will correct you if you get it wrong. (laughs) Even if they've told it, even if you've fed back to them what they've told you if you if you got if they said it wrong or if you understood it wrong they'll they'll correct you so particularly sort of in mainstream schools obviously there are some children who don't have the um verbal capacity to do that but if we think about most most of the kids in our mainstream schools like it's just particularly if they've got language like developmental language disorder or even our autistic kids who have trouble with sort of the social communication side of things, I do find drawing it out is helpful. And then I'll also do kind of like the comic strip conversations around, okay, well, that happened. And then I'll draw a line to this was the result. You know, you got in trouble because you did A. And then the way I will reason it through is I'll draw a separate line and then ask them what they could have done differently to avoid. So what would it be a different outcome? But I find drawing it, much more impactful a lot of the time rather than just talking at them. Because in my head, you've got, they were, I'm going to say, readily aroused or the correct level yeah. of arousal at the beginning. Yes. And then some things happened. Yes. Which caused that increase in arousal. Yes. And then there was a behavior. Yes. Which was seen as uh, negative, disruptive. Yes. And we don't want the negative behavior. You can't ask them, you don't fight or stop punching. Yeah. That's not, you've got to work out what those triggers are. Yes. And then, and it is like, how can you remove those triggers or how can you be less triggered by them? Yes. And then, but if you are triggered, what is what a better you yeah, action? Yeah, so walking away is a better option than hitting your friend. Going and getting an adult to help is a better option than yelling at your friend or just working through those those options that, that will be helpful. Ignoring the behavior instead of telling, like, 
trying to... Um, Kim, Kim, you're probably a very model person who never gets into the uh, angry zone or anything like that. But have you ever been sitting at your desk working away, kind of got a bit frustrated, got up and gone and made a cup of tea or gone for a walk? Oh, 100%. And, and it's, yeah, and I think as adults we have a lot more opportunities to just take a step back or, or kind remove of change, ourselves. remove ourselves from the situation than maybe a child does in the classroom. Because, you know, if they get up and walk out of the classroom, they're probably going to get get into trouble. You know, I know some schools that have got spaces where the kids can just get up and go and take five if they need to, but it's it's very it's very individual on the school. But quite often a change of scene or even a change of person, like there's sometimes, you know, it's just a change of face when a child's upset can can be be helpful as well and you've got i think if, if a child is literally getting up out of their chair and going to leave that classroom you've got to think they're probably in the highly aroused state mm. that chimp is in full control yeah so if you ask them where are you going you're gonna get you... shouted at <laughs> and i'm not saying there's no blame okay but in that situation they are in that fight or flight mode. Yeah. That chimp is in control. Yeah. They don't want to do what's happening. No. It's already, it's already the situation has already happened and it's going to happen. And either you can confront it or you can, can try and let it resolve, calm down on its own. Yeah. As long as, like, and obviously there's safeguarding and things like yeah. that. Kids, kids just can't be walking off and walking around schools, but it's, it's it's potentially you know if you know that that child needs to leave the space, having an agreement with them that they go and sit at the chair in the office, or they just walk up and down the corridor, or like having that agreement and having all staff in the school also be aware what that agreement is, because the last thing that child then needs is another staff member from a different classroom being like, why are you walking around in the corridor if that's their designated space that they're allowed to to do that or you know some again every school is different some schools have got access to the outdoor place from their their classroom so it might be that the child just goes out and does a lap of a lap of the playground and then comes back in obviously you need to safeguard this and know that that child will follow that rule and will come back from where you've asked them to come back from but yeah, it, it can be helpful having that kind of almost escape place. Some some kids use the toilet as that escape place and they've kind of already built in a strategy to to figure it out. And it is just – and it could be that it was someone next to them. It could be something they're having a break they haven't still come Resort. down from. Yeah. Or it could be that their work is hard and they're struggling with that no, I'm not struggling with the work, but almost like they're internally making it so much worse than it yeah. is. Rather than just being able to stick your hand up and go, I don't get it, that would be the end of my life type thing. They're, they're catastrophizing and it's going wrong in their head. Even though in reality... It might not be. But it, it might could not be. be. It could but be good. it's that thing of to them, it's a real thing. Yeah. And you can't take that away from them. And that's the thing. I have this conversation with my daughter. Going, Why can't you just do that? And she looks at me like... I'm an idiot or, or whatever. And I'm going, but you could at any moment, you could just do that. But apparently not if you're a teenager. There'll be lots of reasons, Dale, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm old and I don't understand. But yeah, so to me, we, I think we really covered is if someone is in that really highly aroused zone, 
you literally need the opposite to support them to calm down yeah so i think the piece the the, the key pieces to think and remember is that arousal is a neurological process that we have a some control over but it reaches a point where we don't have control and yeah if you are supporting level of arousal you you need to pretty much i like that be the opposite of what you're trying what you're seeing yeah so if a child is very highly aroused and you need them to calm down you need to Regulate, yeah, downregulate yourself, and that yeah. is hard. Like I know at times that can be hard, particularly if there's parents listening. Like it's very hard because you're often that you're it's kind of that relationship, it, it, and it you you're needing the child to maybe do something quite quickly, or like it's you know it's it's it, you, it's you it's end harder. up like two bulls, yeah, or two sheep rutting yeah, yeah. whatever. And you it end might, up in that it might be that you need to take five minutes and go off and then come back before you're ready to sort of to support the child again safety etc but kind of considerations there um, and yeah and then giving just bearing in mind that when we are in high states of arousal we don't have great access to our thinking part of our brain that handles language so that's why we get more or shouty logic. yeah and there's not a lot of logic with that either so that's why we, we you can't go oh hang on i yes. recognize this i should remove myself from the situation yeah. you yeah. don't get that bit going on in your yeah. head do you yeah. yeah so they would be they would be the three key takeaways and just that arousal is that level of energy or alertness in the body at all times and it goes up and down and hopefully it matches the situation but it doesn't always there was something i was going to say then but it's completely gone so we're going to end on that perfect but it is, it's one of those things which I think is kind of slightly misunderstood. You know, it's slightly not even thought about mm-hmm. and actually how you are. One of the podcasts I did with Joe Grace was around sensory communication. Yeah. And you can lose that power to speak, but actually just being next to someone, there is still communication. You're saying I'm here. So you don't yeah. even have to say words. Yeah. You can just be there next to them and they know. Yeah. And they may respond to that. And that is communication going on. You're just not speaking it. Yes. So, yeah, I remember that was what I wanted to end with is just being there. There is a lot of communication going on. I think we've done it. Perfect. I think we have done it. Excellent. Right. As always, you can always go to Kim's website and find out more about Kim and all her social medias. And they are all in the show notes which, as always, is wherever you listen to this podcast or on the website. If you listen to iTunes or I think Amazon or anywhere else where you can leave a review, please leave a review. Let others know how great my guests are because it's great fun and it's great to share the knowledge. And you can also follow us on all the social medias, on Twitter, The Sendcast, on Facebook, The Sendcast, on Instagram, The Sendcast. I'm not even going to mention X. And if you're looking for a simple, secure way to capture and share evidence of learning or a way to capture pupil voice, a way to capture and celebrate achievements, or a simple, safe way to communicate with parents, you need to have a look at Eversense. Eversense is our evidence system that does so much more to help boost parental engagement. To find out more about Eversense, visit the B-Squared website. You can also find about our online training, our CPD, read our blog, watch our webinars. And you'll find a link to the website and to book a meeting with me so I can take you through Eversense or answer any questions you have in the show notes. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. It is goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye, everyone.